My name is Becky, and um, the Lord be with you all. Thank you. If you are uh, worshiping with us at home and online, we're glad to have you with us as well. Um, this morning, as you could see, I was talking with Pastor Trevoris Weaver, who we are so thrilled to have joining us this morning, and he's going to be preaching. So he was just sharing with me that they had a house fire this summer, and so they are currently displaced. So please keep them in your prayers as well. Trevoris and his wife, and I can't remember her name, Jean, Gina, Trevoris and Gina, and then their four children. So um, please keep them in your prayers as well. Uh, our 125th anniversary is coming up very soon in just a few weeks on October 3. So if you have not signed up for the banquet, which will be on the 2nd, please do so. We want to truly celebrate together as a church community. And so if you are able to join us, please do. There will be a, I believe that there's a table in the fellowship hall where you can sign up for the dinner. It, there is no cost for the dinner. So please come and celebrate together. Why don't we quiet our hearts now in a time of worship? Christ, in this hour of worship, lift us out of the routine of our daily lives and set us up on your holy mountain. Let our worship come from our hearts, that it may be genuine. Let our praises for you leap from our mouths, that we may be alive with faith and joy. Bring us fresh wind and fresh fire, Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you rise now in body or in spirit as God himself calls us to worship this morning? Sing praises to God, O you saints, and give thanks to God's holy name. We may cry through the night, but your joy comes with the morning. You turn our mourning into dancing. Our souls cannot be silent. O oh God, our Savior, we give thanks to you forever. Let's sing together. Noting in our songs that God is faithful even in the very difficult times in our lives.
God is so good. We just sang and declared that. I've been reading from the prophet Daniel and how he, God gave him many visions. And every time God gave him a vision and God interpreted it for him, he was struck down in the sense that he felt so unworthy, and he said he was overwhelmed in his spirit and at one point couldn't do anything for three days because he was so overwhelmed by God and by the vision that God had given him. And part of that comes from God's majesty, God's holiness, God's justice. I think sometimes we take it for granted. We know that we've been forgiven by God. So we come to church on Sunday, and we do our thing, and we go out the rest of the week, and we just do what we do without really regarding God's justice, his holiness, and his call for right living on our lives. If we really knew who God was, we would be like Daniel, and we would be awestruck, and we would be on our knees 
praying for his mercy and his grace, which we obviously know that he gives to us. But sometimes I think we take it for granted. So in our prayer of confession today, we're going to read it together, but there are some places in there, there will, you'll see a blank slide, where I'd like us to just take a few moments to consider what we were praying, and then also to bring it before the Lord. In your bulletin, if you want to look at that, the words are printed there as well. So if you need to ponder those, feel free to do that as well. Let's pray together. These are words from Daniel. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, we are embarrassed to come before you, for we have preferred the ways of this world to your ways, for we have rebelled against your wisdom, and we have gotten into trouble. For we have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether. To you belongs righteousness, O Lord, and to us confusion of face. O Lord, great God, all holy, filled with awe, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, Incline your ear to our troubles. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Let's take some time of silent confession. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy. On the ground of your great mercy in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray, for he is our Savior and the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen. Friends, hear these words of assurance from the psalmist. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, praise God, on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commands. And we say together, thanks be to God. I invite you to rise now again in body or in spirit as we sing, It Is Well.
Let's extend that peace to each other. I have all the kids come forward, please. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I'll move over. <laughs> I know. Friends, how did our first week of school go? Is anyone in school? Did it go well? Yes? Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Wow. People of God, what is our prayer for these children? Lord, you need to know you're wonderful, never stopping, unseeing, unbreaking, always and forever love. The Lord be with you. <laughs> Go in peace, children, to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Dawn, and I am one of the elders here at Pleasant Street Church. And, um, wow, it has been a week this week for a lot of us. Um, there's been a lot going on. There's been a lot of tragedy. There's been a lot of... Um, just things, stuff that we all deal with. And um, Becky, I don't know whether to thank you or to um, be upset with you because that reminder this morning, it is well. Um, hard to sing some days, and, but yet what a reminder that it is well. And we praise God that he is with us and because of him, it is well no matter what storms happen. So it is my, my privilege, um, humbly, to lead us in prayer this morning. So if you would please pray with me. Be still and know that I am God. Heavenly Father, in the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives, you remind us to stop and be still. You are the God who never sleeps, never stops watching, never lets go of the reins, and never relinquishes control. You cause the sun to rise and set, the planets in our world to keep turning in perfect time, and you are perfect in your care over us. Thank you that there is never even a fraction of a second when you are not orchestrating all that you have created. Remind us to be still, to know and to trust that you are a mighty and majestic God. Remind us that in spite of all that we see and hear happening in a chaotic and changing world, you are God and nothing can happen that takes you by surprise or will not be used by you for your good purposes. Father, not pandemics, not politics, 
not civil unrest, not famines, not floods, not hurricanes. Your word is still truth. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, thank you that you have shown your faithfulness to Pleasant Street Church for 125 years. We ask your blessing on the work and planning that is being done to celebrate this milestone in the life of our church family. Be with those who are giving of their time to recall and collect memories, snapshots in time, and examples of how you have been with and faithful to us through all of these years. Be with those who are planning our times of worship over the October weekend. Speak to them through your spirit that our words, messages, songs, and celebration would give you all the glory and praise. Father, as we turn the page on our calendars this week, thank you for the beginning of a new school year. We ask your blessing on all of our school and college teachers, staff, and administrators, on youth group, Sunday school, and Bible study leaders. Give them energy and excitement for the work before them in this new year. And we ask that no matter whether in Christian schools or public schools, wherever they may be, that each of them would bear witness of your love to those students whom they teach. Father, as many as of us are marking this Labor Day weekend with time away from work and schedules, thank you for the gift of work, for able hands and bodies to complete tasks, for jobs that provide services or products to meet the needs of our daily lives. We thank you. We also thank you for time to rest, to enjoy the beauty of the world that you have created to spend time with family and friends. Father, we pray today for those who want to work but are unable to find jobs or who are suffering from illness or injuries that prevent them from working. We ask that you will provide for their needs and the needs of their families. Help us also to open our eyes to the needs of those around us and to support one another during difficult times. Lord, we lift up to you today those in our church family who are shut in and unable to leave their homes and who cannot be with us to worship in person. We think of Theona, Harold, Arthur and Henrietta, Alice, Nellie, Mike, Babe, Art and Ellie. We pray for Henny, for Hank and for Jen and for others who are undergoing treatments for cancers, leukemias, and other long-term illnesses. We also remember Carol L., Jenny, Rick, Grace, and Carol H., and ask for your healing mercies as they continue to recover from recent injuries and surgeries. Father, we ask that you be with those grieving the loss of a family member this week. Father, we think of Shana, a co-worker of Johnny's. We pray that you would be with her in the loss of her husband, we also ask, Father, that you would be with the Opperly family in the passing of former pastor Opperly. We pray that you would extend your grace to them, comfort them in their time of loss, and fill the hole that now exists in their families. Father, we also pray for Brian's dad, Everett. Thank you for sparing him for more significant injuries, but we pray, Lord, that you would be with him now as he is in rehab, Watch over him and just be with their family, Father, in all of the many concerns. We pray that you would just um, comfort their hearts, Lord, when 
There just doesn't seem to be enough capacity to cover all the things that we deal with. Lord, we ask that you be with Pastor Matthew as he officiates a wedding in California this weekend. We pray your blessing on the couple who are being married, that even though we don't know them, that this would be a time for them, the beginning of a new life together centered around you. And thank you, Father, for bringing our brother Trevoris to lead us in worship today. Lord, we pray for Trevoris, Gina, and their family, Father, as they have experienced the loss of a home this summer. And Lord, we thank you that even through this, again, you remind us that all is well. We can be still. You are still God. We thank you for the work that Trevoris continues to do in your name at Emmaus Church in Worcester. We ask that you would use and bless Trevoris and our brothers and sisters at Emmaus Church as they seek to reach out to their neighbors and grow your kingdom. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would fill him with your words today as we wait to hear from you. Holy Spirit, help us to be still and to know that you are God. We ask this all in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, and we give you all the honor, glory, and praise. Amen. Good morning. Okay. Uh, the Lord be with you. Uh, this morning's reading comes from Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, Pleasant Street. It is so good to, to be with all of you. I so, I so enjoyed the liturgy, by the way, uh, Becky, and oh my, it was just so beautiful, so beautiful. And the worship team, just hearing you all sing and just feeling the presence of the Lord. I, in my heart, I was thinking, can you, can you do just one more, you know? And, uh, but man, it's such a blessing. I love the prayer, by the way, as well. Uh, man, just spending that time in the presence of the Lord is... Uh, it's just, it's just wonderful. Always love coming here. And it's so good to be here. I just want to give honor, first of all, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I give honor to him. And I love the fact that Jesus, uh, without Jesus, there is no gospel, right? Jesus is, it really is the centrality of the gospels, all wrapped up in Jesus. I also want to give honor to the elders and to the uh, ministers, man, uh, all of you that have been praying for uh, Mayor City, uh, praying for me as well. The Faith Promise team, thank you so much for your support, uh, man, of, of, uh, of, uh, in me and your belief in the God in me. Uh, man, uh, we're in the process of planting a church at the Department of Corrections in Shirley, a church for the incarcerated. God is moving in an amazing way in that environment. 
Uh, man, we've seen people come to know Christ. We're seeing people pray to accept Christ as the Lord and Savior. And uh, so the Lord is moving. And so thank you for sowing seeds, man, uh, with, the, with the hope that these seeds will bring forth fruit. And so there's more to come with that that I'll have to share with Faith Promise. But, uh, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I want to dive into this theme, though the vines have no grapes. I recently heard how Norman Whitfield actually read uh, just recently, Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong had written a song called, I Heard It Through the Grapevine for Motown Records in 1966. And I heard somebody laugh. If if you're like me, I can hear this song, literally, I can hear the song in my head right now, right? And the the first recording of the song to be released was produced by Whitfield for Gladys Knight in the Pips. And so what I did was I thought I'd do a little trip down memory lane. And so I got on YouTube and uh, and watched Gladys Knight, you know, in the Pips, and I saw the the big hair, you know, you know, everyone was dancing. And, uh, but Gladys Knight's and the Pips released their single, released it as a single in September 1967, and it went to number one on the Billboard R&B charts shortly thereafter. Matter of fact, it became one of the biggest selling albums in Motown during that time. And, and I remember even more re- fairly recently how when I was a kid watching the California, California raisin commercials, I don't know if anybody remembers that, <laughs> you know, but I saw the California raisins singing and dancing to the song. I heard it through the grapevine. You know, the grapevine was kind of used as an analogy, right, you know, and of hearing things second, third, fourth hand, hearing and gathering pertinent information, right? You know, because in a real sense, grapevines, they spread all over the place, and somehow they find their way, you know, and it's really a fun song. Before the prophet Habakkuk, it wasn't so funny. When he looked at the grapevine, there were no grapes. And so I definitely want to dive deeper into this, this particular subject. And if we rewind, the book of Habakkuk is a part of the Bible, rarely referenced or mentioned in, in sermons. Uh, if you're like me, I can barely pronounce the book's name, you know. And at one point I was thinking, maybe I'll just call the prophet Mr. Hab, you know. It's just such a difficult name to pronounce. If you're like me, when I have my devotion times with God, I rarely turn to this particular book. I rarely think about this book. It's considered, he's considered a minor prophet. The major prophets are considered to be Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, perhaps Lamentations. And the remainder of the prophetic books were considered minor prophets. And and when we really get down to where that came from, it's said that St. Augustine when they looked at the major prophets, they were much more lengthier, much, had much more bulk to them, but the 12 shorter prophetic books were known as prophetic minors because they were so much minor or shorter compared to the major prophets. But when we really think about this dude named Habakkuk, there was nothing minor about him at all. He was going through a major struggle. A matter of fact, he was living during a time of Babylonian captivity. Can you imagine what just happened in Afghanistan just recently? What's going on in Afghanistan? You see the chaos. You see babies kind of being put uh, put over the gate or over the fence or whatnot. And and, and, and women knowing they're not going to see their child again. They're just doing that in in, in the hopes that at least the baby's life will will be saved. 
see families being torn apart, people being airlifted out, just turmoil and chaos. Now, picture the prophet Habakkuk, right, living in that kind of scene. It's just chaos. And he's right in the middle of it, right? Right in the middle of this captivity. And if we go back to the prophet Jeremiah, and, and we know that the prophet Jeremiah was, was proclaiming uh, the fact that you, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, you need to repent, right? You, you're rebelling against God, and there's an army coming. Uh, the Babylonian army is coming. You need to repent against God while you have time, right? Uh, repent, repent and turn to God while you have time because there's an army rising up. And if we move forward, we see that the Israelites were held captive. They're in Babylonian captivity. And it's in this context where Jeremiah 29, 11 comes forth, where Jeremiah says, where the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, says God. There are plans for good, not for disaster, for hope in a future. God has given them hope in the midst of their captivity. And so what I'm hoping I can do today is give you hope, give you encouragement in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. In the midst of your storm, in the midst of your circumstances, knowing that in Christ there is hope. There is hope in God. You know, people say when you're going through a very difficult time in your life or circumstance or a dismal situation, it's not abnormal for people in their attempt to try to comfort you, to tell you that, I, you know, I know how it feels, right? And you're thinking, you have no, did you, have you gone through exactly what I've gone through? Because if you, have not, if you have not, you really don't have, you have no idea how it feels. But for the prophet Habakkuk, he could genuinely say that I know how it feels. Because he was one of them. You know, the prophet is not just proclaiming a message on the outside in. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of the mess. And he's trying to gather himself. Matter of fact, he understood what it's like to go through captivity because he's one of them. He understood enslavement. He understood turmoil. He had questions about justice. He had questions even about God's character. I remember just a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, I was in a, a group, a gathering in our church in the prison, in the chapel, and we had an inmate that was facilitating the, the Bible study, if you will, or, or the service, and he went around asking this question from what I recall. He said, do you believe, asking all of us, do you believe that God is good? And, and the guy, the inmates, you know, and I'm the only chaplain, you know, I'm the only pastor, and I'm sitting there. And they went around in a circle, you know, finally asking the inmates, do you believe God is good? And so the inmates, they were all like religiously saying, yes, you know, I believe God is good. And, and then they finally got to the pastor, right, myself, the chaplain. And I was like, man, I was scratching my head. Because I was like, I can't lie in the church, you know. And so I was like, to be honest with you, like, I really believe that God is good up here. I do. I, I just really believe that. But, but in here, there are some circumstances. There, there are some times maybe in my life when, when I'm not sure that God is good. When I'm not sure that I really believe that in here. And it's like, man, you know, I, all of a sudden it's like the, the, the conversation kind of turned a little bit. 
And then the ones that came after me, if, you, if from what I recall, I think there was maybe one or two that was like, yeah, I, str- I struggle too. If I move past the religiosity, right, of, uh, and past the Christianese, I, I really do wrestle with this, this idea that God is good. And maybe there's somebody else here today, right, if the truth be told behind the plastered smiles, you know, but behind the, the show and the pomp, you're thinking, man, I wrestle. I mean, we sung today that God is good and that song resonates, but, but really, we really wrestle with that. Because maybe for some of us, we wonder, how can I say God is good when life is out of control? How can I say God is good when my head is spinning? How can I say God is good when the prayer that I prayed didn't come to pass the way I wanted it to? How do I get to a place when I can trust my life, when I can, when I can really trust my life in the hands and really believe that he really is a good, good father? It's in those moments that we find ourselves having to wait on him. You know, the Bible says that even young old men, I think, grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And in the midst of the heaviness and the unfolding events that were going on in Afghanistan, my heart really resonated. Uh, as a chaplain in the Air, uh, Air National Guard, I was thinking about the troops. I was thinking about the, the troops, those 13, I believe, servicemen that died in Afghanistan. And as I was reading through the prophets, and as I was reading through Habakkuk, I was, wow, wow, I was thinking just the correlation of what's going on. And I could, I could sort of relate to the turmoil and maybe the bewilderment that the, the prophet is suffering, that he's, that he's dealing with. The prophet was dealing with true bewilderment because his circumstances were defying his theology. You see, in Hebrew theology, in Jewish and Judaistic or Hebrew theology, in a sense, they believe that if you're doing the right thing, God will bless you. <laughs> like, and if you're not doing the right thing, as Job's friends thought when they were trying to counsel Job, uh, you're going to be under a cur- the curse of God. You know, blessings when you're doing the right thing and cursings when you're not. And so his people are going through a time of bewilderment and the prophet is thinking, this is not fair. This is not fair. This does not make sense. God, aren't you the God of justice? It's it's only when the prophet gets to a place of honest confusion and and, and recognize his helplessness. It's at that point that, that he gets to a place where he realizes I have to trust God. I have to entrust myself to God. And really, that's the impetus that drives him to God. You see, the Israelites, because of their sin and rebellion against God, are snatched away from familiarity and violently thrusted into a pagan land. The, the Israelites, God's people, were living like pagan, and it's almost like God said, like Burger King, you know, fine, have it your way. I'm going to give you Babylon. If you want to act like a pagan, you know, you want to do pagan things, I'm going to give you Babylon. Welcome to Babylon. Have it your way. And, and perhaps you can relate. Maybe as you look back over your life, there were a series of decisions Ultimately, sin that brought you to a place that you did not want to be or a predicament that you did not want to be in. And you're thinking, God, I want out of this. Maybe you're like, God, I've learned my lesson. I want to be 
free. I want out of this. In Babylon, Habakkuk, which means wrestle, his his name actually means wrestle. And Habakkuk is wrestling with God. In Babylon, he sees wickedness everywhere, and he finds that all he can do is call out to God. And I found out in life that if I can't do anything else, I can always pray. <laughs> I've been to seminary, cemetery school. You know, I've been, I've, 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 been, I've been a seminary man, and they taught me a lot of different things. But one thing I didn't learn in seminary is they did not teach me how to pray. <laughs> I learned how to pray growing up. Watching a single-parent mom, my mom struggled. I watched how to pray, seeing her uh, uh, weep and seeing her battle with loneliness and seeing her struggle in a relationship with her mom, this abusive relationship. I learned how to pray by watching her. And so I learned early, before I went to seminary, before I went to Liberty, I learned earlier, I learned earlier that life should be, if you're a Christian, you better learn how to pray. Prayer should be your default mode in life as a Christian. It should not be the last thing you do. It should be the first thing you do. When you're happy, pray, right? When you're sad, pray. When you're lonely, pray. When you're tempted, pray. When you're having nightmares, pray. When you're disappointed, pray, pray, pray. Praying for the Christian is like breathing. When you stop praying, you stop breathing. And really what happens is spiritually you dry up. And and your life should be a prayer. You know, God's solution for Judah's sin was exile in Babylon. He would allow the Babylonians to destroy Judah and Jerusalem to teach them that ignoring his plan for them had terrible consequences. It was God's way of helping his people reach bottom so they would begin, to pro- they would begin the process of true recovery. The ancient city of Babylon plays a major role throughout the Bible. It represents a rejection of the one true God. You might call it sort of an, well, you actually would call it an, probably an urban city. Matter of fact, uh, theologians and scholars have believed that Babylon was the first city to reach 200,000 people. Babylon was hot and popping. Matter of fact, dude, if you were a kid, a teenager growing up during those days, you would say, mom and dad, I want to get out of the home. I'm going to college in Babylon. <laughs> you know, you're like, you want to be, you want to be in Babylon. They said that the earliest act of defiance was building the Tower of Babel. Scholars agree that the structure that the Babylonians built may have been a ziggurat, which was common throughout Babylonian, Babylonia. And to produce, produce, prevent further arrogance, God confuses the people's language so they do not overstep his boundaries that he had placed on them. In a real sense, Babylon represents the rejection of God, which ironically means, Babylon Babylon means the gate of God, which is so ironic. But in a sense, in Scripture, Babylon, Babylonians represent the rejection of God, but Jerusalem represents the acceptance of God, while Babylon is filled with those who reject God. And when we look at the prophet Habakkuk, I want to divide it up into three different sections. Very commonplace to divide it this way. And in chapter 1, we see Habakkuk's perplexity and doubt. In chapter 2, we see him perceiving God's purposes. And in chapter 3, we see the prophet praising God. And so really quickly, I want to go through these different chapters very quickly. But in chapter 1, we see Habakkuk dealing with the, being in an abyss of this foreign land. And what happens is the book begins with a prayer-filled complaint against God. 
in chapter one, he's complaining to God. Matter of fact, he says, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. In verse four in chapter one, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. As he looks and sees the injustice all around him, what he does is he runs to God. He goes to God and he presents his complaint to God. He's grieving. He was struggling. He probably doubted, but he does not run away from God. He runs to God. And what the prophet does is he processes his heart in the presence of the Lord. He explores his heart and he presents his complaint to God. What do you do with your complaints? Do you just sit and spew over them? Do you call your girlfriend or your boy? You know, what do you do with your complaint? Instead of the prophet uh, talking to others, what he does is he presents those complaints to the Lord. And what he does is he invests that time in the presence of the Lord. We must go to God and pray, Lord, here's my heart, here's my hurt, speak to me, Lord. I need an answer from you, I need to hear from you. And in verse 3, we see where the prophet seems to wonder, is this his lot? Is, is this his lot? These people, he describes the people that's all around him. He says, these people love to argue and they love to fight. And he says, there's no justice in the courts. In other words, he says, what justice? This is chaotic. This is injustice. This does not make sense. But in verse 5, the Lord replies, he says this in verse 5, he says, look and be amazed. I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Immediately in chapter 1, we see that the prophet is going through a tension between his perspective and God's perspective. See, the prophet, all the prophet sees is pain, tears, injustice, wickedness, and lawlessness. But the Lord says, look, he says, look and be amazed. I am doing something new in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone were to tell you about it. What the Lord needed the prophet to do was to change his perspective. Can't you you see elements of the gospel right in here in the midst of this dismal circumstance? The Lord says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing something awesome. The prophet feels hopeless, but the Lord basically replies with the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. The Lord says, look and be amazed. Now, if the prophet's like me, I'm going to say, look, Lord, I'm looking and I'm dismayed. (laughs) You know, this is terrible. I am not amazed. I'm dismayed when I look. I'm looking, God. I I hate, all I see is hell. (laughs) How do you see what God is doing when in the natural, all you see is just, is dismay? It's like, Lord, I'm looking, but I don't see you. I don't see what you're doing. But what the gospel does, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it does is it causes you to change your perspective about your circumstance. It causes causes you to change your perspective about the circumstance you can see in exchange of, of, for God's perspective, the perspective that you can't necessarily see in your natural eyes. 
It may not equate to the changing of your visible surroundings nor the changes of your circumstances, but the gospel really does change you. The gospel is not just about what God is doing through you. It's also about what God is doing in you. So God was doing a work in the prophet Habakkuk. This was not a message he could just go and proclaim and not live. This is not a message he could go and proclaim and not embody. God was doing a work in his life. The Lord says, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. I'm doing something. And maybe somebody here today needs to know that God is doing something in your life. You may not understand it. You may not see it. It may not make sense to you. You may not know what's going on, but the Lord is up to something in your life. He is working out the details. He is like the grand grand master puppeteer, orchestrating circumstances in your life, manipulating, I mean, not really manipulating, but orchestrating circumstances and details in your life. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And this is basically what God is revealing in chapter one. And we see that dialogue in verse six through 11. But when we fast forward to chapter two, we see the Habakkuk's perception of God's purposes in chapter two. Habakkuk, what he does is he's, he decides to climb up to his watchtower to look for God. You see, in chapter one, Habakkuk is presenting his complaints to God. He gets his response from the Lord, but he's still battling with discontent. He's still saying, I'm still not content. And so what he does is he says, I'm going to climb up to this watchtower. I'm going to look for God. I'm going to listen for God. He says, I got to do whatever I have to do to get, a, to get a hold of the Lord. Have you ever got to a place in your spiritual walk where you're thinking, I'm not content? I'm not content. And if you're like me, it's in those moments that I'm thinking, maybe I need to fast and pray. And, and maybe there are times in your life when you need to go home, shut the blinds, disconnect the telephone. I know we don't use telephones anymore. Uh, shut down the, the, the Apple phone. <laughs> You know, disconnect from Facebook and Instagram. I told my kids like yesterday or the other day, I was telling my wife, you know, Gina, we need to, we need to fast from, from social media for 30 days. Let's just turn it off because I want to hear God's voice, right? I want to hear the, the Lord's voice. There's so many distractions. There, there, there's, there's the noise, the television going, and everybody has devices. And it's so hard to hear the Lord's voice. When we're, we're, we're just so consumed with hearing the voices of television or, or we're so consumed with hearing the voices, if you will, of our, our Facebook posts and Instagram posts and Snapchat. No wonder we can't hear the Lord. We're, we're just consumed and obsessed with all these other kinds of distractions, right, that they're crowding out the voice of the Lord. And so what the prophet does is he makes a, a, a concerted effort to get to God, So some of you need to make a concerted effort to hear the Lord. That may mean disconnecting from Facebook and disconnecting from StatCheck and disconnecting from Instagram and and turning your Apple phone watch and shutting the blinds and and, and turning your television off because you can't hear the Lord because you have all these things going on. The prophet, what the prophet does is he makes a concerted effort to hear God. What he does is he positions himself. You have to position yourself in your walk with the Lord in order to hear from him at times. He was not content. 
But in chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, it says this. I, in verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Are you looking for the Lord? It's not so much that the prophet was looking for an answer as he was looking for God. If I can just have confidence in knowing that God is with me, that's, that in a sense, that, that's encouraging. Even if you don't get an answer right away, even if you don't trace his hand, just the confidence of knowing God is with him. And that's really what he's seeking after. Are you looking for the Lord right now? You know, I believe, and he's not just looking, he's also looking for God, but he's also wanting to hear the Lord. He's wanting to hear the voice of God. I believe God is always speaking. You know, sometimes when I'm talking with my wife, oftentimes it's more of a monologue than it is a dialogue. <laughs> you know, she'll, you know, she'll say, you know, I'll call her, I'll say, you know, Gina, how are you? First thing I'm listening for is the tone of her voice. That helps me determine what kind of conversation it's going to be. You know, so, so if, if I know she's upbeat, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a good conversation. And if I talk to her and the tone is like, you know, and she kind of sarcastically ask me how I'm doing. This is not going to be a good conversation. And already I'm trying to figure out my way, to, uh, figure out a way to hang up, you know. But I'm talking with her, and a lot of times, you know, she'll ask me, how are you doing? I say, you know, typical guy, you know, I'm doing good, you know. And, and, uh, she, and I say, how are you doing? And then boom, you know, it's, I mean, just do, do, you know, just talking, you know. And, and it was about 30 or 45 an hour later, you know, it's like, and then she say, oh, you know, Chavoris, I didn't ask you about your day. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? This is the takeover again. It's like, I can't get, I think, but she, you know, what? Okay. By click, you know, it's like nothing. I think sometimes when we, in our approach to prayer with God, it's often like us, given this monologue, we do most of the talking. And the Lord's like, oh, uh, he can't get a word in because we're going like that. Did you know that it's okay to pray without talking? It's okay to pray and just by just listening. Just, uh, just not too long ago, there were times when I was trying to pray. I was trying to talk and, you know, and just telling God. And I just felt like I was struggling in prayer. And I felt like the Lord said, you know, my, like, like the Lord was said to me, my son, it's okay. Just be quiet. It's okay to just be quiet. And just listen. That's prayer too. Some of you right now, you don't know what to say to God. You don't know what to say to the Lord. And I believe the Lord would invite you to come into his presence. And he wants you to know that it's okay to just breathe in my presence. It's okay to just take a deep breath and breathe in and out in my presence and not say anything. Just know that I'm God. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 46, I think Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God and that I'll be exalted. I think it says to this effect among the nations to just be still in the presence of God. It's okay to just receive. It's okay to just breathe in the presence of the one who already knows. Prayer really is you talking with God and God talking with you. And when I was a young man, I remember my mother uh, gave me a journal. She encouraged me to journal. 
And I've been journaling ever since, man, just writing down uh, when I get spend time with the Lord, writing down what I believe the Lord is showing me, not necessarily scrutinizing it, but just writing it down, seeing if it lines up with the Word of God, bouncing off of others. And, and then I come away often thinking, man, I've just heard from heaven. <laughs> I just heard from the Lord. Habakkuk receives a reply from God in chapter 1, but he positions himself to remain in the presence of the Lord in chapter 2 because he was not satisfied. He's longing for the presence of God. He needs a real touch from the Lord because sometimes life will deal you some punches that takes your breath away. Or like that Irish dude, McGregor, you feel like you got knocked out, you know, one, two punch, you're out, you know, and it's like you really need the Lord to help you get your bearings. Your vision is blurry. You can't see clearly. Bring your discontentment to God. Dig into where that's coming from. Share your disappointment with God. You know, remember it was just a few days ago when I'm driving home, and I, I'm driving maybe to work, and, you know, I, I tend to be very joyful, you know, smiley-type dude, and I'm driving to work, and I had to kind of dig past, you know, the superficiality of prayer, and I said, Lord, you know, I said something very simple. I said, Lord, I'm sad. <laughs> Lord, I'm, I'm just sad, you know, I'm down right now. And it's like at that moment, now we're getting somewhere, right, in prayer. Now I'm, I'm, I'm really getting to a place of authenticity with God. You see, your circumstances, no matter how agree, are, just, are really just temporary. Over and over again, what the prophet calls God is he calls him the eternal one. You see, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah calls God the Lord of hosts. He said, the Lord of heaven's armies. He refers to God over and over again, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. Why? Because for Jeremiah, he needed the reassurance that God, even though war is coming, there's an army coming. There's a, there's, uh, even in the midst of what's going on with kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, he knows that God is in control, right? And so the Lord is the Lord of hosts. But in Habakkuk, the Lord, he needs to know that God is the eternal one. So what Habakkuk calls God is the eternal one. Why? Because he needs to have confidence that in the midst of his circumstances and situations, that this is eternal. This is temporary. But God is eternal. His circumstances, no matter how grave, no matter how terrible they are, they have an expiration date. (laughs) Right? Eventually, they're going to run out. They're going to expire. And God always has the final say. God is still on the throne. He is the eternal one. Just that thought amazes me. Do you know how awesome the Lord is? Oh, man, you know, oh, I think they prayed it earlier today or is in our liturgy, somewhere in our liturgy today. Like, do we really know how awesome God is? Like, how awesome the Lord is? If we really understood how awesome the Lord is, we would pray like there was no tomorrow. Church would never be boring, (laughs) you know? Because we're so filled, we're so enthused at the reality of who the Lord is. I still look at the moon in awe. I'm like, how who put that up there? That's crazy. You know what? I, I mean, I still, man, I'm still like amazed at how planes get off the ground. These big, huge hunks of metal. There's no way. That in itself is really a miracle, right, of, of the Lord. And to be in that plane and to see these clouds, it's insane. Like the Lord, in, in this same crazy, this same amazing God is crazy in love with you. He's outrageously in love with you. Matter of fact, he's ridiculously lo- in love with you. 
that in itself ought to give you hope, right? That, that God's got this. God's got you. God's got this church. Jesus, this, the world may look bleak right now, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. The prophet changes his perspective. And then what God does is God gives him a fresh vision for his life. His vision before may have been blurred with tears and with weeping and mourning, but God gives him a fresh vision for his life. Matter of fact, he says this, and the Lord answered me in verse 2 of chapter 2, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You have to change your perspective in order, and then God will give you a fresh vision for your life. Your vision might be delayed, but it has not been denied in your life. Maybe there's some things you've been praying for, you've been believing God for, and it's like, man, you're wondering, is this going to happen? Is that really going to happen in my life? And I want to encourage you that if it's from God, it will come to pass. Delay does not necessarily mean denial. And the prophet needed to be reassured of that because it, there was going to be a temptation for him to believe that, man, I've heard this, this, this amazing word from God, but, but, but it hasn't come to pass yet and years are going by. And the Lord wants to reassure him that there will be a, de- a delay, potentially, there will be, but it will come to pass. Wait for it and keep running. Matter of fact, the Bible says that without a vision, my people perish. When you have a vision in front of you, you can withstand the hardship of the now because you have a vision in front of you. You know, when I ran, uh, when I ran track, it's like track was hard, you know, running and, and, and practicing. I didn't enjoy it at all, but I had this vision in front of me, right? I had this vision that I was going to get the goal. I wanted the gold medal. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be on top of everything. And that vision, that vision of me winning, that vision of me excelling, it really, really was the, was the motivation, what, what fueled me to run as hard as I could, right, to, to get that medal. It's, it's that motivation. When you have a vision in front of you, matter of fact, the Bible lets me know, right, that when Jesus endured the agony of the cross, it says in Hebrews, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had you, you were his vision. He had you on his mind. He saw you coming to know him as Lord and Savior. So he thought this is worth it right? Dying on the cross, being crucified, being uh, uh, spit at, a crown of thorns placed on my head, his head pierced in his side, but he thought, I have a vision in front of me. So I can get through this, this turmoil right now because I know where I'm going. When you know where you're going, you can get through anything in life because you have a vision, this vision in front of you. So the prophet gives him a vision, but he understands it's going to come on God's timetable, not his own. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. But notice in verse 4, the Bible says, Behold, in verse chapter 2, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And he says, the righteous will live by faith. Faith, right, is believing God, a God you can't see, in the midst of circumstances you can't see. It's saying, Lord, I believe you. Matter of fact, God, you're more real than my situation. You're more real than my circumstance. And so he has to trust the Lord. 
But in chapter 3, in Habakkuk chapter 1 begins in a somber note, like a sad song. He's complaining to God. But in chapter 3, he's praising God. <laughs> he's praising God, right? He's Habakkuk prays to God. We see this type of rhythm throughout the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's praising God. He's complaining to God. He hears from God. He changes his perspective by looking for God. He writes down his vision from God, and then he praises God. He exhibits true faith, but he's in a barren season. There are no, as I come to a close, there are no blossoms on the fig tree. There is no fruit, no grape, nor grapes on the vine. The produce of the olives are failing and the yields, the fields are yielding no food. The flock are cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Maybe before he remembered yesteryear, the glory days when the fields were, ri were rich with, with crops and children were, running, children were running in the streets and the markets were, were bustling, were hustling with industry and with commerce. And he's thinking, where did it all go? It happened so fast. Now it's just a dream. And for the prophet, he's grieving for his people. And when we look at the symbolism of the grape and the vine, it, it's, it's very significant because the symbolism of the grape and the vine, it permeates the Bible. You see, the grapevine is mentioned more than any other plant in the Bible. The grapevine is linked to, to, to prosperity and to, to fruitfulness. It's symbolically used in Scripture. Matter of fact, when the vine was fruitful, that represented Israel being a fruitful people. But when the vine was barren or, or, or impotent, that represents the disobedience of the people of God in which they're not bearing the fruit that God intended for their life. You see, really good grapes, the best fruit, produce the best wine. But I don't know anything about that, right? You know, we don't know anything about the best wine. Are the best, are the best Welch's grape juice. But how do you get that wine? You know, how do you get that grape juice? You have to crush it. You see, the people of Israel, they're going through a time of crushing. But in order, in order for us to live as a sweet fragrance for his glory and for the good of others, we have to allow the Lord to do his work in our life. We have to submit ourselves to the, the presence of the Lord, to his working in our life. And in order for us to produce the type of fruit that God longs for. And so God uses circumstances to crush us in order to build us back up into the image of Jesus. When the prophet says there are no grapes on the vine, this is so significant. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8, as one of the seven spies were spying out the good land uh, in the nation of Israel, they had noticed that in the nation of uh, Canaan, I'm sorry, in Canaan, there were grapes that grew in large clusters they were, that were reported by the expedition of the Hebrew spies. Uh, it's been said that the grapes were so large, it took two men, right, to hold the grape clusters as they went away because the grape clusters were so huge. This was a gift of God that were meant to be enjoyed. And later on, we see in John, I think it's John chapter 14 or John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes away, he prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it'll bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. John 15, verse 1 through 5. This is what God was doing in Israel. The vines have no grapes. Israel is going through a time of crushing, but the pain was but for a moment. God had a plan for your life. And the Lord wants to do the same thing in your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for the church. You were born to be fruitful and die empty. Why? Because you gave life all you had for the glory of God, for the good of others. Let's allow God to work his plan in our life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, O oh God. Uh, thank you, Lord God, for the encouragement. The encouragement, Lord Jesus, of knowing, God, that, Lord, your word really is the gospel. It is good news. You are the gospel. Father, you give us hope, God, that transcends our circumstances. And thank you, Lord God, that our situation, our circumstances are temporary but you are eternal. Lord, I pray, God, that um, individuals will walk away today, Lord, uh, just encouraged and built up and edified, that they would be drawn to you. Jesus, remind us, God, that your work is not just about what you're doing through us, but it's what you're doing in us because you want us to look more like you. For those, Lord, whom you foreknew, you predestined to be conformed into the image of your Son, that you might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so, Lord, help us to walk in that destiny. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Scott. Thank you, Pastor Trevoris. Powerful word. This is our time in our service when we want to um, give our students in grades three through five an opportunity to reflect on our worship and the sermon. Do we have any kids in Echo? Yes, we do. All right, Henry. <laughs> All right, so come on up and let's uh, dismiss Henry and Mrs. LaFrancis as their time of uh, leaving and discussing. So people of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. This is also the time in our worship when we would um, give our gifts back to the Lord as a response um, we are not doing that right now because of COVID. We are not um, passing the basket. However, just a reminder that your gifts are still welcome, and there's a box in the fellowship hall where you can place those gifts. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit, and let us together proclaim from the words of the contemporary testimony, our world belongs to God. Let's proclaim what we believe as a church. As followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control and others view with despair, 
we declare with joy and trust, our world belongs to God. From the beginning, through all the crises of our times, until the kingdom fully comes together, God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to God. God is king. Let the earth be glad. Christ is victor. His rule has begun. The spirit is at work. Creation is renewed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's prepare to receive the benediction. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hands? What comes apart from His commands? And what will keep us till the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Sing hallelujah. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hopes praise eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Sing, hallelujah, 
Jesus Christ, and we say together, thanks be to God. God. Go in peace.